Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we are going to talk about steps Christians should be taking to protect themselves from being bullied, manipulated, and coerced financially and culturally. But we also want to talk about how we can come together to rebuild many of the dangerous and broken structures in our culture. So we're calling today's episode Forming Beachheads and Reshaping Culture. Now, Aaron, I know you've introduced us to this basic idea before, but can you introduce us again to what you have in mind? Yeah, so we, in a previous podcast, we did talk about the idea of beachheads and Christians coming together and strategically influencing and impacting the culture around them. But I want to put this uh, idea back onto people's radars, maybe flesh it out a little bit more. And I, I think I'm doing this in part because I don't want Christians to be lulled to sleep because we're now at a point of the year where some of some of the mandates, not so much the federal ones, but a lot of the provincial mandates have been dropped in Canada and in many of the states, but there's still talk of future lockdowns, future coercion. There doesn't seem to be a letting up on the border crossing issues. The politicians are doubling down on that. So we're all, many of us are locked in our own country. And I don't want people to, you know, kind of get up in the morning and think, well, the sun's shining. I can go to work. I don't have to wear a mask. So we're free and clear. The problem's behind us and we can move forward. We have a ton of culture wars ahead of us to fight. God has seen fit to allow us to be born and live at a time like this. So we have a lot of things to think through as a nation. And COVID, among other things, has just revealed how broken the structures of our culture are and how venomous and dangerous it is to actually be a Christian in a world like this. Mm Uh, if you're a person of conviction, they're going to come after you. So what I've been advocating for is this idea of strategic locations. We're calling them beachheads. Strategic locations will allow large gatherings of Christians to come together. And these strategic gatherings will obviously be determined people who are committed to the Lordship of Christ over all of creation and who are opposed to tyranny, who are opposed to the radical woke agendas of our day of our day and age. So these strategic gatherings of determined people, and we want to bring people together in order to liberate those that are otherwise enslaved through the preaching of the gospel, through modeling what it looks like to be a Christian, this side of heaven. And we also want to retake territory and reshape civilization according to the principles of God's word. So obviously this sounds like um, a pretty big project. It is. It's a. It's probably a multi-generational product, a project, but we're okay with that. We like to think long-term. And it's really, um, uh, if people want examples of what this might look like, I mean, think of the now, this is a long time ago, but think of the Puritans that left England and the Netherlands and came to North America and basically built a new civilization. Now, we're not going to a foreign land with no housing and no infrastructure and rebuilding a civilization, but I think there's a strategic benefit to like-minded, determined Christian people 
to relocate if they're in an area where the Christian population is pretty sparse, to relocate to areas for a generation or two to build those areas up to form strong Christian influences and structures and cult in culture, and then to, to basically retake Canada. That's the big vision for Christ. Now, we, have, uh, we live in a country filled with immigrants, and the United States also is filled with immigrants. People tend to move to Western countries, which is kind of interesting because historically we had Christian values and roots that governed and established our nations. And when people come, they it's not uncommon for various ethnic groups to also form beachheads until they get established for a few generations. So, you know, Miami's full of Cubans, uh, Manhattan's full of Jewish folks, here in Ontario around Elmira and St. Jacobs, there's lots of Amish and various Mennonite groups. Uh, Leamington, not too far from our church, there's a large Plukdich, a low German community there. And we also have Muslims across the border in Dearborn, Michigan. They've basically formed a, a beachhead of sorts there. In Romania, there's different pockets of uh, gy- high levels of gypsy population. So, it's not unusual. It's not weird. It's not unprecedented for like-minded people to locate themselves in an area because they feel vulnerable where they can encourage each other, build culture, support each other, start businesses together, help educate uh, their children and so forth. There was a study actually done, Chris, in this in Switzerland that studied the movement of immigrant groups that were coming from other countries into, into Switzerland And they said that the ones that were most likely to find employment and jobs and kind of settle into culture generally went to areas of Switzerland where there were a lot of people like them. Hmm. So that's the idea. I I think it's uh, a blessing and a benefit. There's a great benefit behind Christians relocating to strategic areas, concentrating their resources, and then building out culture and then pushing inland, so to speak, just like you would do in, in battle. When the allies landed on Normandy, they brought a lot of guys. They had a lot of manpower. They were obviously all determined to liberate and to free the people that were being um, killed and to rebuild Europe. And it was successful. So on a spiritual, social level, that's what we're talking about when we talk about rebuild, uh, forming beachheads and reshaping culture. Okay, so that's a good introduction. I can almost hear the critics <laughs> right away saying, wait a second, what about the Great Commission to go out, to, to leave, to, you know, when we're talking about beachheads, it's kind of like, are you bailing on the Great Commission to reach the world for Christ? It sounds kind of, you know, cult-like almost. So how would you respond to that? Well, I would say, first of all, to the cult-like comment that what we've seen over the last couple of years makes this loud and clear. Unless you comply with present culture, there's always going to be some ignoramus out there ready to throw the cult word around because that's what they're looking for. They want you to comply with the culture. Uh, I would say that if if we want to use the word cult, the Canadian culture is more cult-like than what I'm proposing. People in our culture follow nonsensical leaders they are very easily manipulated, indoctrinated, propagandized. We've seen that with all these shifting mandates over the last couple of years. They're quick to submit to tyranny without question, and they believe in lies. That's not where we're at. 
We're fighting for truth. We want to submit ultimately to the Lordship of Christ. We're not easily indoctrinated or propagandized. And we're not following nonsense, nonsensical leaders. We want to follow godly men who understand the times and who are absolutely committed to Christ's ultimate authority. So in our own church, I'm, I'm not interested at all in people just following Aaron Rock. I want people to follow me only to the degree that I follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his word once and for all delivered to us, mm-hmm. the Bible. So I'm not concerned about that accusation. When it comes to the Great Commission, I would say what I'm advocating for is more Great Commission oriented than what we see in broader you know, evangelicalism, reform circles, Christianity as a whole. The Great Commission involves discipling your children whom God has entrusted to you to raise for his honor and glory. It's about providing for your own. It's about bringing the gospel and gospel values to bear on all structures, all institutions, all thrones, all principalities in culture. I want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. But because we're so spread out and we're so sparse, Christians are basically being trampled upon. Christians are being silenced and they feel powerless to, to do anything besides maybe have an evangelistic conversation with a neighbor. So this is very much great commit. This is motivated by the great commission to bring to bear the message of Christ's Lordship, that there is a King. He died on a cross for you. You must submit yourself to him and repent in faith to, to be born again and made new. That, that is our ultimate goal in all of this. So the more people, so for example, if you're in a community where there's one Christian per thousand, as opposed to a community where there's 400 Christians per thousand, and you have robust robust churches that are actually influencing the community, Christians are involved in business and entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, if you need some plumbing done, you call a Christian plumber. If you need some electrical work done, you call a, a, a Christian electrician. You're greatly heightening people's exposure to the gospel. And much of Christianity today, I would say, you know, they, they think they're into the Great Commission. They're into the Great Compliance. They're just complying with culture. They're complying with 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 health mandates. They're compi- complying with every new woke ideology. They're not really on mission to preach the gospel into the world. We very much are. And this idea of a, a, a beachhead, beachheads are not hideaways. This is not about some Amish community where you run off and don't talk to anybody. This is about a, a beachhead. When an, when an army forms a beachhead, they retake territory. They retake culture. They liberate the enslaved. They support one another as an army. This is not about hiding and running away. This is about strategically gathering our resources into strategic locations in order to have a greater gospel influence upon the culture, the people, the cultural constructs, the institutions, the economy, the healthcare system, the political system, all of that in culture. I think it's an incredibly awesome idea. And I I really want to encourage people to, to think through it and to consider it. I think even as you mentioned all that, I'm thinking in my head, you know, the things we take for granted that other people have built before us and gathered people around multi-year, multi-generational projects that take a significant amount of effort, focused effort, united effort. And so I can see the value um, in something like this. Yeah. And even talk, let's talk about voting. Christians, 
Christians are always upset on voting day, whether it's municipal, provincial, or federal, because every year or every four years or whatever, whenever the elections are called in a particular jurisdiction, they go to the ballot box and they're, they're trying to bring, they, they, they understand they're not voting for the most evil person on the ballot. They're trying to vote for the best person on the ballot. Even if that person isn't a Christian, they're trying to weigh out, okay, well, which person is the lesser evil? And every once in a while, if there's a true bona fide committed Christian that gets it on the balance and all the Christians are, oh, that'd be exciting, but you know, he's not going to win or she's not going to win. So we'll cast our vote for the party most likely to win. And we're on this sort of voting hamster wheel where there's always this bluesy feeling after, after the election that the people that we really wanted to get in either didn't get in because of a last minute, we didn't vote for them because we were voting strategically or because there were just no good people on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a numbers game. Hands down, it's a numbers game. So if you are in an area where 50, 60 years has gone by and it's the same outcome every time because there's 5% of the vote in this county that voted righteous and 5% that voted righteous over here. If you can build up some counties in a province or state where... 40, 50% of the people are on side, you're going to elect the people that you want. Mm -hmm. And that's going to affect all the decisions that governments make. So, but no, no, no. We'd rather be scattered and spread out thinking that somehow that's better. And so what has happened because of our lack of strategic thinking about such matters is there's, there's very, very few ridings or counties or jurisdictions in North America where there are sizable numbers of Christian politicians. And by the way, I'm not just talking about a, a, a politician that happens to be a Christian and goes to church, but a Christian politician that actually thinks Christianly yeah. about the issues that they're presented with. So that's a fixable issue. It's a fixable issue to identify if we want to get people into governance, you just bring a lot of people into certain areas. You elect the people you want. And then as populations grow and godly people reproduce and generations move forward, you expand into the next county, the next mm -hmm. county, the next county, the next riding, the next jurisdiction. And over time, you can make a sub substantive difference. Mm -hmm. But again... Why doesn't that happen? Because we're just not very strategic in the way we think about such matters. And I want people to start to think about strategic relocation for purposes like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the other questions that comes to mind for many people, especially our Canadian listeners are going to be thinking this, uh, why not just move to a better location, i.e. the U.S.? Sure. Well, first of all, that is an option. And there's many godly people Unfortunately, it tends to be all the, your best leaders <laughs> that um, are many of your best leaders that are seriously considering that. And many of them have occupations or citizenships that, that permit that. And, you know, God bless them. I'm not in any, I would never challenge the motives or the, um, the prayerfulness that has gone into that. We have people in our own church that have relocated to other areas who, who love what we're doing, but because they have little kids or whatnot, they just want to live in a different place. And uh, God, God bless them. Um, about a year or two ago, I was really looking at that, thinking maybe there's a place we could relocate our church or we could you know, form beachheads. 
But I, I just have no heart for that right now. I'm just being honest. I'm supportive of those that want to uh, go and that's a decision for them to make, but I'm not interested in that. And there's, there's a few reasons for that. Um, first of all, globalism, contrary to what happened in previous generations where people could move to a dramatically different country. If you want to stay within the Western world, unless you want to move to a tribal area in Africa or some obscure place in South America, most people are going to move to another westernized nation. And with globalism, there is no safe place anymore. It's just a matter of degree. So if you were to say Canada is 90% dangerous and 10% good or whatever ratio you came up with, and you're like, well, I'm going to move to another province or state. Okay. So you went from 90 to maybe 75% bad. Like there's, it's not a substance enough gain for me to justify leaving nor do I think it's a substantive enough gain for most people who are aware of the cultural issues to justify leaving. Now that 15% difference or 10% difference might be a critical difference for someone that maybe has little kids and is concerned about forced secularized education or something like that. That's a decision for them to make. But as I'm looking ahead, sort of trying to trying to process in my own mind where I think things are going, which is part of my job as a leader to look ahead and try to anticipate where things are going. I don't think there's a substantive enough gain moving interprovincially or within, uh, you know, between Canada and the U.S. moving from different states, between states or provinces to states. I personally am not convinced at this point there's a substantive enough gain to make the whole uprooting process worthwhile. Okay, that's that's where I'm at. And um, I also look around and I don't want to miss out on what God is doing in my own jurisdiction in Canada. I've seen, I, I'm actually prepared to suffer to see him glorified further. I've suffered very little, actually. I've probably suffered more than most Canadians have during this. But compared to human history, I've suffered very, very, very little. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, my suffering has been, I've been extremely mad and irritated <laughs> by what's going on in culture. Yes, I've been threatened with jail time and exorbitant fines and pulled through a knothole backwards in social media. But at the end of the day, whatever. Okay, I'm a big boy. I have the Holy Spirit, the word of God, the people of God around me. These are minor, minor temporal sufferings compared to what Christ went through. And I'm just seeing God do an amazing thing in our own country. You and I were talking earlier this week, like people are showing up in our church and churches like ours that wouldn't under normal circumstances from a human perspective, they wouldn't even be in, the, in, in church. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to tell like stories out of school, uh, but I, 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 I was pretty encouraged earlier this week when I realized someone is now attending our church that I knew years ago. And I never, never would have expected to see that person here sitting into the sound of the gospel and at praying that the Lord will continue to lead folks like that to himself. So I don't want to, I don't want to abandon that mm -hmm. and I want to continue to capitalize upon it. There's also thousands of people looking for direction. And so there's great opportunities for leaders to guide and direct rather than, you know, leaving first. I don't want to be the captain that jumps off the ship first when the ship's sinking. Mm -hmm. So I'm committed to, to um, staying and I, I, I actually really enjoy from a spiritual perspective what's going on in Canada. I've always said we need this. Now it's different than I 
it's turning out to be a lot different than I thought, but there's some, so many beautiful things taking place. And the reality is most people can't leave anyway. So I, I want to kind of stay with the majority and help to build these beachheads out. Mm-hmm. And if other folks have to leave to other countries, you know, genuinely God bless them. We're, we're sponsoring a church plant down in Texas. And that might seem like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but I want to honor and support those that are going there. But at the same time, I'm not encouraging people to leave the country and I want to build these, to help build these institutions and structures within our own region and see them built in other regions. And I think there's only good that can come out of that. So these, these are actually really exciting times to live if you see the big picture and many, many opportunities for us to set aside our bent towards laziness or hoping that someone else will fix the problems and really engage with some of these issues and come up with some practical solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, as I've thought about relocating and all that, um, one of the things that's come to my mind has been, you know, many people are born into the country that they are still in and they haven't really thought about moving anywhere else and they don't really think about it until kind of the, the pressure comes on or, you know, becomes uncomfortable. But uh, as a Christian, we obviously want to have a perspective of why are we here in the first place? Why has God called us here? And it, it does seem, as you've mentioned, with the the abundance of fruitfulness in ministry, it does seem to just wholesale abandon that would be foolish. It's like one of the most fruitful times ever. It's one of, like what you've prayed for for years. And so it's so exciting to see that. But you're here for a different reason. You're not here because it's comfortable. You're here because you're harvesting fruit for the kingdom. Right, exactly. So. That's, that's where my heart's at. And again, I know that I want to be like hugely respectful to those that have a different heart or a different mm-hmm. vision. I think the Lord works in people's lives in uh, various ways. But if you... If you have a missionary's heart, fundamentally, if you would say one of one of my one of my strengths is I, I have a missionary's heart, then Canada is a great place to be. Or wherever I know we're podcasting here from Canada, but we have an American audience, depending on whether you're in the north or the south. So if I was if I was an American living in maybe the northern, more left-leaning states, I might be thinking about moving to the south. Or if I'm in the East Coast, I might be thinking about moving to more central, the central states. So these are these are questions that people are thinking about, not just in North America, but also within their own countries. Mm-hmm. And there are reasons, there are biblical reasons and biblical precedents throughout history for people to to leave. But as I've been thinking about what we've gone through in the last couple of years, I don't want to exaggerate our pain and suffering either. Yes, it's been painful and difficult and challenging, but we still have three square meals a day. We still have roof over our heads. We're still worshiping on Sundays. Like we're not being burned at the stake. Mm-hmm. At this point, we're not doing lengthy jail sentences. <laughs> some of our brothers out West did some time, but we're not doing lengthy jail sentences. And there's still many opportunities that we have to rebuild and change our nation. But if you think it's going to happen in two, three, four or five years and you, you're disappointed to see that to, to, to realize that's not going to happen. I get it. You might want to move on or you might want to move on because you want to kind of get your kids through Mm -hmm. the, the elementary years or whatnot. I get that. But I, I want to bless and encourage folks 
that move, but I also want to urge and encourage people to think seriously about the many blessings of staying, and this is one of them. And we need people, and we need large numbers for this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get into some details. What does a beachhead actually look like? So again, a beachhead is not a hideaway. It's not a retreat, retreatist mentality. A, a beachhead is a large concentration of like-minded people who realize they're in a war, a culture war in this respect, who intend to defend one another, to support one another, to train one another, to conquer the enemy and to retake territory over the long haul. That's fundamentally what a beachhead is. So in Canada, for example, Christians are sparsely spread out. So we, we've received numerous messages from people who have said, look, we, we heard your story down in Windsor, Ontario, or listen to your podcast or whatever it might be. And we're looking for a faithful church, but our church closed, our church complied. Instead of doing the great commission, they did the great compliance. And could you recommend any church in this area, whatever the area they're from, to, to worship with? And sometimes, depending on where they're located, I was able to say, yeah, go to Crossroads Alliance Church in Ingersoll mm-hmm. or go to Christ the King Fellowship, mm-hmm. you know, in Alliston or go to um, Trinity in, um, in Waterloo or even in Calgary, you know, Tim Stevens Church or James Coates's church near Edmonton. So I was able to do that, but I would say more often than not, it was, I'd, I'd open up a little map and I'm like, sorry, bro. Like I, I don't know of any church within, 150, 200 kilometers. So there's there's a couple faithful churches, for example, in Peterborough, um, Hill City, and uh, Westmont. And I was recommending people from as far as way as like Whitby to go there mm-hmm. or up in Northern Ontario to drive down because it was close. But it's it's kind of a bummer when you're trying to participate in robust Christian community. You have to drive community and you have to drive 150, 200 kilometers to church. That's not sustainable long-term. Mm-hmm. So that that is something I became aware of. I'm also concerned about post-secondary. So when we're training people for a Christian ministry, for example, I've been very disappointed at the response of the Bible colleges and seminaries in our own country to the point that I, I just don't feel comfortable recommending students go to them. And so a lot of people are resorting to online studies or we're probably going to have to rebuild training institutions Mm -hmm. and that's going to take people and it's going to take money and it's going to take time to do that, to train up the next generation of pastors and missionaries and this professors. But that's not something, you know, we can just do by ourselves. We also have uh, many kids that have been basically kicked out or their parents have chose to pull them out of chosen to pull them out of the public school education systems. So now we need to rebuild more. I know there's Christian schools in pretty much every area. There's some homeschooling networks, but they're way too small right now to accommodate the need. Mm-hmm. In the past, it's been sort of more thought of as an option. Now it's a critical need. So we need to do a better job in rebuilding uh, some rebuilding and building new Christian educational institutions. And by the way, some of them, just because a school has Christian on it doesn't mean they educate Christianly. 
I, I know of Christian schools, they just follow the Ontario curriculum and they tack on a morning devotional prayer over the PA system and a chapel once a week. I'm sorry, that is not a Christian education. Mm-hmm. A Christian education is where, and, and it's not about going into science class and reading a verse or just refuting evolution. A Christian education requires that every subject, every matter, subject matter is taught with an overall worldview that Christ is king, that he is the the ultimate truth giver. And then we need to educate our children to think Christianly about math, about science, about biology, about phys ed. All of these areas need to reflect the kingdom message, the gospel message. Many folks don't even know what that looks like because they've never experienced it including many quote unquote Christian educators in their mind, they're a Christian. So they're willing to teach in a small Christian school, for example, because there's Christians there. But when you look at grade eight graduation or grade 12 graduation, and you observe how those students then live their lives, the proofs in the pudding, so to speak, many of those kids come out of there with a secular worldview, even though they were educated in a Christian school. So we have to do a better job and, if we're going to utilize our current Christian educational institutions and in, in revamping them to make sure they actually are educating kids and young people Christianly, mm-hmm. right? This is really important. We could talk about that perhaps in another podcast. Mm-hmm. Many people have lost their jobs because they've made the mistake. The vast majority of Christians work for lost people. They work for the big corporations. They work for Canada's largest employer, the government. And they've lost their jobs. And if they haven't lost their jobs over vax mandates, they're going to lose them over the LGBTQ agenda or all these other woke issues you sort of have to sign off or agree upon to be employed. Well, we can fix that. We can fix that by by forming uh, strong churches and strategic communities, strong educational institutions or parental schooling networks, for example, encouraging people to start their own businesses who are gifted in that area. People can get involved in political initiatives, start political parties, run for public office. Down the road, we could even develop private healthcare systems in keeping with laws or if it's a, if it's legally not permitted in a particular area, well then we vote the right people in to make it permissible. I'm also thinking big picture about maybe starting Christian financial institutions, um, having Christian housing projects. You know, there's a major housing crisis in our our country. Many of the young people are wondering if they'll ever even own a house. Well, there there's there are ways of owning houses. It may not be the traditional route, but for example, if a group of Christians got together and bought, you know, a, a, a condominium building or an apartment building, turned them into condos formed an association, young couples who want to enter the housing market. You know, you can buy a condo for as little as maybe $120,000 here in Windsor. I saw an apartment building was up for uh, sale here in Windsor this week. And it was a 17 unit building. I ran the numbers and I thought, man, you could buy one of those units for 117,000 bucks. And you know, live there for five years or seven years, get into the housing market and then sell it. And buy a detached home or uh, two, two, uh, maybe a couple brothers get married. So there's two families instead of everyone buying their own place, they could go in together and buy one house and duplex it and build up equity. And then they're able over time to move into a detached home. 
So there's ways of there's ways of uh, responding to the housing crisis, to the educational crisis, but it takes numbers, it takes people, it takes financiers, it takes willpower, and it takes people who can think long term beyond the crisis of the moment to contribute to some of these solutions. And beachheads create the venue for these sorts of initiatives to become more realistic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we're already seeing that even take place here. So let's talk about some of the social structures uh, in a little bit more detail. So let's talk about politics, right? How do beachheads serve to influence politics? Yeah. So if you were to look at electoral maps, you're generally going to see people vote more on the conservative side, the the values side uh, in more rural areas. And you're generally going to see people in the larger metropolitan areas vote. I, we, we used to call it the left. We could just call it the woke side you know? mm-hmm. and um, the godless side, the heathen side, the anti-God's law side. So when you're looking at electoral maps, you see different colors on it. In in the U.S., you know, we have the red states and the blue states, which is kind of like the opposite in Canada, because in Canada, blue is more conservative, red is more liberal. In the U.S., it's the it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. But you, the point is, is when you look at maps, electoral maps, you have jurisdictions that are more easier to win and ones that are a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. And if you were to take areas of our province that already show a more conservative-leaning population and you add 10% more conservative-leaning people to those areas or 15% or 20 over the years, you can then influence the political system by getting your people into office. In uh, in different regions of the U.S., sort of the Bible belts, we see that. Around the Niagara region in Ontario, we've seen a lot of success among the Dutch Reformed churches in getting some of their people into political office. And we can do that in, in other, mm. other jurisdictions as well, in other provinces, in other states. Again, you want to get the right people and they're actually thinking Christianly because you could vote a Christian in that's maybe an immature Christian and find them to be a huge disappointment. Mm-hmm. So you got to vet well and you got to hold them accountable. But there's great potential in that area. And I know in our region, we sort of have uh, the metropolitan area, like the Windsor area, that's more left-leaning. The county kind of flip-flops back and forth. But there's the, the last federal election we had here in our own county, we saw that a lot of people of, of faith, a lot of Christians, a lot of people that were held to a similar view of life as we do came out and voted. And it did have, we didn't win, but it did have a significant influence on on the voting outcomes. And when you increase the numbers in a community, you're, you just have more voters. So you're going to have more influence on politics, which people might poo-poo politics because, you know, no matter who we vote into office, we also, we always seem to get the runaround. But a lot of the issues that we're experiencing in culture today are driven by radical left-leaning politicians we can fix that, but we can't fix it if the number of Christians is just growing at the same rate as non-Christians in a given jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always five percent or always ten percent. We have to we have to outnumber our opponents in order to bring substantive change. Mm-hmm. And to your 
little comment there earlier, Chris, I'll just say that, yeah, we have had people move already to our community. Three, three households come to mind uh, to sort of help to, to, to build this idea of a beachhead in our own area. And I think that's just going to happen in increasing numbers in areas that people see having great potential for substantive change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What about when it comes to, and this one kind of excites me, maybe my Dutch background, I don't know, but supporting <laughs> one another economically. It's not just about getting a deal somewhere. Yeah, I'm What's sure it? you've probably thought about this more than I no, have. I've thought about it a lot. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay, so an economy is a necessary aspect of every community. Even if you're in a, an exclusive community, like an Amish community, there's an economy. There's people that lend, there's people that help build houses, buildings, there's there's commerce that takes place. So you, it's pretty difficult, if not impossible, to just live in total isolation economically. So we, we understand that whenever we're looking at populating an area, developing an area, there has to be all, all the pieces of the puzzle have to come together to support one another to create the whole picture. And economically, again, uh, one of the one of the things that we've seen, so we we've created something in our church called Harvest Village, and basically that's an opportunity for people who are offering goods and services, or who have businesses to there, there's a forum for them to um, log in and to advertise all of their businesses. So then, when people in our church or in our community that are like minded are looking for a particular good goods or services or a particular business to support, they can look that up and they can say, oh, okay, I didn't realize that such and such was a hairdresser or such and such was uh, an architect. So now you, you, I mean, you want to make sure that person's doing good work and not as, and nor should you assume that you're going to get a huge deal from them because they need to survive as well. But now you have like-minded people who are earning an income and you're supporting them. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure why we didn't do this a long time ago, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. Why not keep our dollars as much as we can in the pockets of godly Christian people that are going to steward their money for God's glory? And we're also working on the development. I want to work on the development of a job board so that when people are looking for employment, they they can first of all uh, discuss that with people in their own Christian community. We've seen a few people find employment through that, Mm-hmm. I was talking to a, an entrepreneurial business owner on Sunday after the worship service, and I didn't realize, but he says, I think he's hired three or four people uh, for his own business out of our church because of that that initiative that we have. Mm-hmm. Well, if you just kind of amp that up, and we have Christian people who have started a broad array of businesses and services, and other Christians can buy their goods and services from them, support those businesses, you sort of create like a, a whirlpool of, uh, of, of cash flow flowing through and around in a Christian community, which creates greater stability because presumably if someone holds to your worldview, then they're going to mm-hmm. support you for it. They're not going to fire you because you chose not to be vaxxed, for example, or they're not going to require you to sign off on LGBTQ legislation or go to some sort of woke training workshops or seminars in order to be employed by them. So it's it's a, a micro economy is what some people would call it. But my vision is not so much for a micro economy. It's for a very large economy mm-hmm. 
where people are mutually supporting one another. Um, that also spills over into housing. Like I, I think one of the things that we should be thinking seriously about is uh, people that have sizable homes creating apartments and providing housing for Christian young people at a reasonable cost instead of, you know, young couple gets married, they have to go rent an apartment for $2,500 a month with one one bedroom and then they can just never get ahead. They can never get into the housing market because mm-hmm. they're broke. There's ways of supporting one another by having uh, tenants in, on our own properties. Or like I said earlier, I've been kind of paying attention to land that might come up for sale. And I was thinking it'd be neat to have like some Christian corporations that would buy land and maybe build subdivisions for Christians or apartment buildings for Christians. And you'd have to think through all the legalities of how that would work if someone wants to move out, who can move in. But it's it's just a really, it, it just takes some, it takes some creative, uh, you know, mental energy to come up with some of these ideas and then people to actually execute them. But I want to be, I want to be an idea man first and foremost to put these ideas on people's radars and then just see where the Lord guides and directs so that we can recreate and reshape culture in a way that benefits our own people and helps them to feel more supported and encouraged and employable. Mm Uh, locally, and then um, also safe, a little bit safer when they're um, being persecuted or being harassed or being coerced or being bullied. The final thought I have under that category is that if we do this right, this is this could become very attractive for outsiders when they see that you know we're very supportive of one another in business. We have robust educational institutions and social networks, and people are you know, living in, in, in tight community without so much fear. This is an opportunity for us to kind of let our light shine into a very confused and, you know, dog eat dog manipulative world. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned education there. So obviously educating the next generation of kids and Christian leaders is like a, a critical need. Uh, and so maybe we can talk for a moment about how beachheads would aid that. Yeah, so the, the most simple way of supporting each other is through parental schooling networks. That's the simplest one. It does require some effort. But if in our own church, we've seen a pretty rapid expansion of the homeschool network mm-hmm. that we're part of and sort of initiating. How many uh, families or households would you it's say? Probably 40. I think there's over 100 and about 113 kids in our last kind of session we did okay. of co-op. So Yeah, so that, that's good. So forming those cooperative experiences where parents can support one another. We know as Christians that it is the parents' primarily responsibility to educate their children. Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians 6 talks about that. Um, But we also need support as parents. There may be areas of deficit and our own ability to teach or just the need to be encouraged and to be around like-minded people. So forming those parental schooling networks is good. If if those are successful, out of that, we we need to form more Christian schools so that people who work during the day and, and want to de- delegate the primary education of their children to other like-minded people, which is okay to do, mm-hmm. can do that. And then beyond that, as we get Christian schools and Christian high schools up and running, that again, that actually think and act Christianly, 
then we, we need to set our eyes on these post-secondary educations, mm-hmm. seminaries, Bible college, Christian liberal arts colleges. Many young people today don't even want to go. Now, not, not everybody should go to post-secondary because they're not gifted for it. That's not the way God's wired them or it doesn't necessarily lead to a job. But for those that do want to go into law or medicine or some of these fields of vocational fields that require a bit more advanced education, uh, right now they have a choice between going to woke institutions or going to woke institutions. More woke, wokier. <laughs> so the there's a dearth of uh, uh, opportunities here in in our own province and I know in many other jurisdictions. So we want to see... Uh, large concentrations of people in certain areas. That's what I'd like to see in order to to up the ante, up the opportunities for some of these post-secondary educations to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So there's obviously other benefits too, and maybe you can touch on those. You've you kind of hit on a few, I think, but other benefits of having a, a beachhead approach. I was meaning to do a little more research in the medical area. I know that there's differences of opinion on the legalities of private medical clinics in Canada. And I don't know what the latest and the greatest is. I know out in BC in 2019, there was um, some discussion that was initiated by a physician that wanted the the right to be able to start his own private medical institution. And historically in our own country, social medicine, socialized medicine has been the way we've done it. But I think people are uh, at a point now where they realize, you know what? I, I might be prepared to even pay out of my own pocket for some medical services if I would if I could access them because a lot of people feel that individuals within the pri- the the public medical establishment have severely let down many of the citizens they're supposed to serve, not only with the the, the long term issues of you know and these really long wait times in hospitals, a lack of a lack of customer service, but in uh, firing their own staff, you know, calling them heroes and you know, pandemic heroes and then firing them, treating them almost like subhumans. Um, a lot of a lies and deception that we've seen in the modern medical institution, hospitals, uh, hiring unvaccinated people and making them sign non-disclosures to pretend as if they're vaccinated and fudging numbers in order to get money from the government and whatnot. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a market for privatized healthcare. And if you had an area that was dominated by like-minded Christian people and you had medical professionals in that community and you had the political clout to be able to bring about those kinds of changes, you could actually make a difference and potentially have privatized health care that's ethical and uh, you know, reasonably affordable, made available for the citizens. So that's, that's kind of a big, a big goal, but it's, it's possible. Uh, I mentioned buying real estate. The more people you have, the more opportunities you have to buy real estate, maybe buying larger properties for development or buying an apartment building, turning it into condos. Um, Job creation, we've touched on that. Business support and evangelism. You know, when you're rubbing shoulders with uh, like-minded people, um, you just have more, more contacts um, more people power to do a robust job of evangelism in a particular community. So let me just maybe give one illustration. One of the things I've taught when I've taught evangelism in the past and when I've tried to model it is this idea that 
the more connections a lost person has with Christians from a human perspective, the more likely they are to come to faith in Jesus Christ or, or be impacted with the gospel message and gospel values. So if I was, let's say, so let's say you weren't a believer Mm -hmm. and I was interacting with you and you said, Hey, Aaron, I need, I need some plumbing done in my house. And can you recommend a plumber? Let's say I knew three plumbers, but one of them was a Christian. It would be strategic for me to recommend the Christian plumber, not only because I want his business to be supported, but because if he's truly a Christian, there's a pretty good chance when you invite him over to fix your plumbing, that a conversation is going to be struck up and you're going to have a man that's going to present and live out the values of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So now what I've done is I've expanded my efforts. I've shared the gospel with you. Now I've introduced you to a plumber who's also sharing the gospel to you. And then suppose it comes income tax time and you're like, Hey, do you know a, a tax prepper or an accountant? Yeah, I do know one. And I introduce you to another Christian. So what I'm doing is I'm putting you and I'm positioning you in a web of relationships where the chances of you coming to faith in Jesus Christ are greatly increased because now you're you're almost starting to be surrounded by Christians. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of hard to do if you're in a community and you don't know any Christian dentists, any Christian doctors, any Christian accountants, any Christian plumbers, any Christian electricians, because there's like five of you in the whole area or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So when we build up an area, what we do is we can exponentially increase gospel witness in a particular community. And, and so just the sheer numbers, again, it's like being raised in the, in the Southern Bible Belt, the sheer numbers of Christians in an area like that heighten the potential for you to be introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. So those are some things that, I believe uh, will benefit people as as we come together and form these these beachheads. Okay, so the logical question that listeners are going to have, if especially if they haven't tuned in before, is where are those beachheads? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to send people? Well, so on on principle, what you want to do is you want to first of all look for areas that have strong. Christian churches already that have taken a stand. So if there are, I don't know, 30,000 communities in Canada, you've just now whittled your options down to about 15. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're following the news and you're aware of what's going on in Christianity, you want to look at provinces or states where there's churches that have taken a stand. So that would be pretty huge. You might also want to look at some of the electoral maps and just see how that area fared in the last municipal or provincial or state level or federal election. That'll kind of give you a bit of a sense. You want to look at things like housing prices and geography and proximity to a larger city, these sorts of things. Um, In Canada, a bunch of us, and I've mentioned this before, so this isn't new, a bunch of us kind of sat down and were talking about some areas within Canada and we felt that Within Ontario, um, Windsor-Essex, obviously, is is an area where we're initiating a lot of this. Southern Manitoba, um, in the Waterloo region, you know, with the influence of Trinity up north of Waterloo is a great spot to consider. Um, north of, um, and northern 
uh, Edmonton. That's another area. And uh, the other end of Ontario on the eastern end, there's a lot of potential in sort of the Kingston, Peterborough area. And then in, in the United States, I think it's a little more obvious because there's those strong red states, strong blue states. So I'm not as familiar with the specific cities within those areas, but we have an example of this in Moscow, Idaho, where they've built, you know, almost what you could consider like a Christian city. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of unbelievers that live there. So there's lots of opportunities for cultural influence and for gospel witness. But I would say, look for those kinds of things in our own, if I could put a plug in for our own efforts here, like we, we are being increasingly very strategic about this. So we have asked some families in our church to be host families when others are coming down to explore this area. We want to be able to introduce them to the rental market or real estate agents to find housing. We're working on developing our, our business village, mm -hmm. our business um, ventures. And we're also looking at the possibility of hiring someone to our staff that part of their role will be to help with help people relocate and to work on some of those bigger projects to explore uh, community housing opportunities for people to be very proactive and getting more Christians to list their businesses and their employment needs and opportunities on our database. So those are things we're doing here. So we're being very proactive about that. And, you know, by God's grace, we also have a strong church in Windsor. Uh, we do need more in Windsor, Essex, but it's always a challenge to find the right people to plant churches. But uh, those are some of the things that we're doing, but those are all replicatable in other areas. Mm -hmm. So we obviously don't expect the world to move here, um, but some will and some have, and then there's going to be other areas that people are going to naturally gravitate to, to sort of build up the, uh, the population. And um, again, we have to think long-term, like beyond the next two years, five years, 10 years, even 20 years, just a long-term plan to build up areas like our own county and then to get quality people uh, running for office, starting Christian educational institutions, potentially medical institutions, maybe even banks or credit unions uh, dealing with the housing issues. And that, that's sort of taking place already. It's part, partly organized, partly grassroots, but as, as time goes by, I'm confident that more structure will be added to our plans and it'll become more and more realistic for people. But primarily I wanted to kind of uh, bait the hook mm -hmm. and help people to think about this because I don't want people to live in despair and I don't want people to feel isolated or to feel that, you know, our destiny forever forward is just to be pounded down and our churches to be locked shut and businesses to be closed and people to be unemployed. There are solutions to these problems and they're all predicated upon this fundamental belief that we want the Lord Jesus Christ's lordship to be evident in all the institutions of culture and society. Even godless people are blessed when that takes place. Very good. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Aaron. Appreciate it. And uh, if you're looking to move down, just message us and we'll point you into the right direction. And uh, that would be great. Just a reminder to those that are listening and tuning in today, you found our podcast some way. So please share it so that other people can find it. Uh, make sure that if you want to listen to it, you've got the Fight, Laugh, Feast app downloaded because on that app, you can get the notifications when this podcast 
releases each episode. You can also share that and listen to other great podcasts from other like-minded leaders and Christian thinkers. We are also heard on the CJXC radio. And that's on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. and Tuesday or Thursdays at 11 p.m. So please do subscribe, like, share, do all that good stuff. And then tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.